0: Hello and welcome to The Making Of, a Nat Geo podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Wilson-Hunt, and with me today are three craftspeople from the Nat Geo original series, Genius Aretha. Costume designer, Jennifer Bryan, choreographer, Don Draco Johnson, and cinematographer, Kevin McKnight. Welcome, everyone. So honored to have you all here today. Before we talk about the work that you did on Genius Aretha, I would like to ask each of you to reflect on the very first memory or association that you have with Aretha and her music. What was the first song that you remember hearing? Or maybe you saw her on TV or you had some sense of, my God, who is this incredible woman? And I'll have Jennifer start.
1: Well, my early recollection, I think it was Chain of Fools. I remember like, you know, bopping along to that song. I was still in Jamaica at the time. Yeah, Chain of Fools, that's what it was for me. It's a great one, a huge radio hit too. Yes.
2: And Kevin, how about you? I would say in the 60s there with a Say a Little Prayer, mostly hearing that with my mom. Did I have a connection to Aretha there at that point? I'd say no, once I guess respect became a bigger deal. That would give me more of a tie to Aretha. And on Draco, how about you?
3: Oh my God, I think that I've been hearing that voice for so long from my parents playing her music. But I think that when I put all the music together to realize it was one person, it was Aretha, had to have been probably respect. I've been hearing it before, but when I put it all together was around respect.
0: It's funny, my first association with respect was when Murphy Brown used to play (laughs) her music all the time on the show. So, so interesting to see the entry points we all have for Aretha. And it does seem like she's been in our lives forever and will continue to be. It's such a special thing. And, you know, this show explores the concept of genius. And we saw two iterations with Einstein and Picasso and now Aretha. In what ways do you think she qualifies as a genius in the framework of this series? And maybe, Kevin, you can start there.
2: Connection. Her music, her craft, her art, her genius was about connecting, uh, connecting generations. We're 2021. And the craft or whatever her gift, she's connected us, time, people. It's still generating. If I understand you, sort of a timelessness to her art. Yes, but it's much deeper. It's not mentality or intellect. She connected us. The music still connects us.
0: And Andrejko, does that resonate with you? And do you have anything else to add?
3: Absolutely. You it back and off Kevin her whole life has been connections. A lady coming from where she came from and the obstacles that were threw at her and how she was able to connect gospel in the church world to the soul world was another connection. Cause that's where it all, st- you know, it started there. So for her to overcome all those obstacles, bridge that gap and to connect all of us to this day, I agree with Kevin. It was a connection. Her whole life has been a connection in overcoming the obstacles.
1: That's beautiful. And Jennifer, what would you add to that? Well, the other part I was thinking is, in her time, how she was able to have such a far-reaching global reach, which nowadays, of course, is much easier with technology, but she didn't have those tools back then. And it was her voice and her concerts and her ideology seeped through and it was just like an undercurrent that people paid attention to so beyond the gift of her voice was also that innate thing that not a lot of people have where you reach out to people globally it didn't matter I mean where in the world you were you could say Aretha Franklin and even if you didn't speak English they knew that name I mean back then to be able to have that kind of reach is phenomenal and that is a genius to me I
0: love that. And that really does expand what I've perceived to be genius, too. And that's really a great entry point to talking about the series, which is so beautifully done. And each of your respective crafts is just executed, really, at the highest level. So congratulations. And Kevin, I'd like to start with you. The series offered you in particular a number of unique challenges in terms of cinematography, time jumping, montages, black and white. I mean, you really couldn't have made this harder on yourself, by the way. When you were working with Anthony Hemingway, your co-director and co-EP, and then Susan Laurie Parks, of course, the showrunner, what was your collective guiding principle in crafting the look and feel of the series? And how did you maintain consistency across all the episodes?
2: You know, the storyline was really vast because we covered, when all said and done, we covered from the 40s to uh, the 90s. In a concise explanation of what we did, we went with the celebrity of Aretha, and we built from that growth and our visuals grew with that. So we went from black and white, a world that was a little more black and white in attitudes and everything. And as we grew and matured with Aretha, then we started bringing in our colors and building this narrative. We used our color palette to help us. Tell our storyline. Anthony and I are very intentional in the creative process. And we use creative intention as a buzzword a lot for us in lens choice, in how we break a scene, in how we handle a moment. Is this an expansive moment? Is this a contractive moment? How do we illustrate that? We wanted to engage the audience with Aretha. We weren't looking so much to make a biopic history lesson. We were looking to engage an audience with this persona, her ups and downs, and to give some insight into her psychology. She went through a lot. So a lot of our choices are based on, are we pulling that audience in? How do we make this impact on the audience?
0: I like that a lot. And you talked about the use of color. And Jennifer, uh, you must have had a field day in creating... These hundreds of beautiful costumes. And firstly, before we talk about the craft involved in making these incredible pieces of clothing, how do you describe Aretha's style in terms of, she, you know, she wasn't sort of a fashion plate at the time necessarily, but in revisiting her looks and all the eras in which she sort of evolved, she really did have a unique style that I don't think I totally appreciated until seeing them come to life. What do you think her style was? How would you have described it? Tell me your impressions of that.
1: You know, in the beginning, I think she always had an underground flamboyance to her, which she tempered in the earlier part of her career because she was still associated and linked with the church and, of course, her father's influence. So she really had to walk a fine line of having, you know, gospel took her where and the church took her where she was. But then how do you transcend in your, in your style and your clothes to the flash of like the Motown era, you know, and the R&B era. So I think she did it inch by inch. And if you watch when you see our show through the sequence, you'll see it. She starts off simple. And I, I was able to do that pretty well in the like black and white sequences because I didn't have to worry. It was more about tone at that point than color. And she was you know, younger then, and then when she gets into the sixties and starts recording and starts getting a little money, then we see her like push that fashion edge or style edge of the time more and more to the point where, when she is fully fledged, and I'm going to use that as a double entendre, because, you know, she had her issues with weight at that point, she really Takes on a flamboyance that, like I said before, had been like closeted back there. So now, regardless of how big she was, how curvy she was, how full size she was, or whatever you want to, you know, label you want to put to it, she then piled on style on that body. Then came the furs. Then came the coats. Then came the gowns. It was as if. She was let loose. It's interesting. I recall some of
0: her later years performances, you know, where she would take off the coat, drape it on the piano. And, the, and it's funny, she really did seem very uninhibited later in her life.
1: Yes, it's as if she, as she matured, she got more inhibited. It was as if it was locked up when she was in her 20s and 30s. And then fireworks, it was a fashion explosion. You know, and looking back, some people would say some of those really were explosions and sometimes they weren't really in our eyes nowadays, not necessarily, you know, a good fit, but I loved it. I played on it, you know, so I tried to bring Aretha style and the flamboyance of it and the extravaganza of it without it being a fashion misstep. And it's a fine line, I got to tell you. I hope I passed.
0: Well, let's face it, too. It wasn't her fault. There were some very dubious choices in the 60s and 70s and 80s for clothing.
1: Yes. I mean, my gosh. I mean, when I was doing my research, you know, I was like, what were we thinking back then? (laughs) Well, and on that
0: point, you talk about research. What resources were most valuable to you? Obviously, we have countless photographs and moving images of her. Were there other things that you sought out in terms of the design
1: so you could actually recreate these pieces? Believe it or not, the best hands-on research that I found was Jet Magazine, Sepia Magazine, Ebony Magazines, those magazines, you know, that spoke exclusively to the African-American lifestyle back then. And I drew on not only the many, many articles that Aretha appeared in, in those magazines, inside those magazines also gave me Tidbits of what was going around in that world. You know, because you can't be singular and insular with one character, especially when you're doing a period piece and you're doing a public figure. You have to look at the world that they were living in. So old print magazine issues were vital. And then I went into, you know, later books that were written about her. And then going into where well, we start to get into television interviews that she had. You know, later on, like with Oprah and Johnny Carson and all the guys back then that had late night talk shows and daytime interviews, there was a lot of material. But the core was old print magazines. And what a great living
0: history too, in documenting that community at the time too, which is, must have been so special for people to open up a print publication and see themselves reflected. What that meant to them must have been very poignant.
1: Very much so. Very important. And that was like the drum of the Black community was Ebony and Sepia. And once in a while, you know, they'd get a break where they'll get on a talent show back then. And it was crazy. Like the whole family would just like, you know, crowd around that little Black and white TV set. So we were able to find some of those recordings. And I know for Don Draco, use those two for choreography. And I use that for style. And I know that Kevin and Anthony also called on those things for attitude and ambience. And we put all of that in a pot and come up with what we hope to be a really interesting and bold presentation of this person's life, of Aretha's life.
0: And Don Draco, do you see parallels between what she's just described in terms of Aretha's style evolution and the way she moved her body as her career took shape? Did she start out more church girl, sort of conservative, and then did she start to get looser on stage? What did you learn about her?
3: Absolutely. I agree with everything. Like, spot on what Miss Jennifer just said. The fashion and the movement, it all goes hand in hand, you know? And when she was younger, you know, she was a child, she was a church girl. And I can relate to it being a child growing up in the Southern church like that. You know, you're timid, you already know what's right or what's wrong, you're listening to everybody, but you know that there's something amazing that's brewing in the inside. So you tend to move accordingly. But then once you get older and start to experience life and your body start to shape and you start to put things on it to make you feel good. And when you feel good, you move good. It goes hand in hand. You know what I mean? So a lot of times I will call I'm like, Well, Miss Jennifer, what are they wearing in this? And she'd be like, Don I got them in this. Cool, perfect. So I know that whatever she put them in, I can make them move in. You know what I mean? And they're gonna feel good and look good. And I go, Kevin, this is what I'm thinking of. If you turn them this way, I'm gonna shoot it this way. Perfect. So it was a teamwork. I couldn't have got through it or done nothing without either one of them, Kevin or Miss Jennifer, because it all goes hand in hand. And people always tell me, like, when I tell them I worked on this project, they're like, they need a choreographer for their project? I'm like, clearly you don't know music, and clearly you don't know Aretha Franklin. Like, yes, she grew up in the church. Was she personally a dancer-dancer? No, but she had her own style. If you notice, what people don't realize, if you notice about all her older performance, she had a thing for dancing. She may have not danced, but everybody else around her was jamming, and they were in sync, so it reflected the music. It reflected the time, the fashion, so it all kind of went hand in hand.
0: And what was the relationship she had to having backup dancers and backup singers? Because a lot of people at the time had that sort of as a flourish on stage. But what was her relationship to those women?
1: Her two sisters were her initial backup artists, right, Don Draco? Yes, ma'am.
3: She had her sisters. And I think that during the time when you're singing like that, like, you know, you're expected to sing and just have a choir singing with you in the church. But once she started to bridge the gap between soul music and the pioneer that you had to put a little more because those people were coming from the juke joints back then. They were used to cutting the rug and dancing, so you just can't just sit up there and just sing. And I think that maybe growing up in so heavy in the church, She possibly, I think she did, she partied a lot and had a good time, so she knew how to move her body. You know what I mean? And I think that her time to show that is, I don't have to do so much, but let them dance. And sometimes you watch her, she'll perform she look back and they're jamming, you can tell it felt good to her.
0: Yeah. And you can see, and now that you mentioned that, I do remember she would look back and give a look almost like they were sort of an extension of her own body for the audience.
2: Yeah.
3: Every once in a while she'd throw up a clap and they'll have a little thing and then she'd come back and do what she do.
2: I would add here that the building of Aretha, Anthony would turn to Draco also just about little minute body uh, movement, just the way she carried herself in general how does Aretha move? Not just dancing, it was just little things, hands, even. It's part of that detail, and those subtle details were on the set.
0: I love that. And like Dondranka, you were saying, just cause something isn't like Debbie Allen choreography doesn't mean it's not choreography. Any movement is choreography.
3: <laughs> yes. You walking in it because you have to realize there was a gain of confidence. There was a walk through. So and all the things require a poise and a position and the way I look and all those things. And even when you're singing, people can have beautiful voices and can sing. But if there's no connection with the body, People could just put on the radio and just listen to the song. But when they're looking at you, they have to feel it. So she had a way of singing and bringing you into her world. And all that required movement and gestures at the piano, fling your head like when you hit that note, Let, let it go. Like those type of thing. It was down to that.
0: Kevin, I wanted to talk a little bit about you mentioned lenses earlier, which are obviously a DP's best friend. And I've been really interested to watch this evolve over the last few years. Hollywood is, after far too long, finally acknowledging the need for specific methods in lighting black skin for the screen. And shows like Insecure and a lot of Ava DuVernay's work. What special lenses and techniques did you and Anthony use to light your actors in the best way possible, but also taking into consideration the different time periods, the black and white, the montages, which... It's just kind of a whole other host of challenges alongside making sure that these people look exactly as beautiful as they need to.
2: The biggest thing on making dark complexions pretty is the size of the source that's reflected in their skin. We didn't line our sets traditionally with a lot of small sources. We had really big sources. We had big light boxes. They become reflections in skin tones. So we were very conscious about how big and how close those sources would get to make Aretha, uh, Cynthia, look her best. The choices of color then on how darker skin complexions reflect warm light, cool light, off-colored light. We use those in our psychology build also.
0: And then how does that impact outdoor scenes where you're at the mercy of daytime and, and maybe potentially bright light?
2: Uh, A lot of times we take it away. We take the sun away or soften it with big, gigantic panels once again. For a lot of that stuff, I would keep them backlit so I didn't have direct sun hitting. And that's part of beauty lighting anyway. But it really comes down to a small source on a darker complexion becomes a pinpoint. And you can see it in cheeks and nose and reflections. So it's about the size of the source.
0: That is fascinating. And Jennifer, if you had to choose, and I'm sure it's impossible, your favorite look or favorite era in Aretha's (laughs) style evolution, what would it be? I personally love the scenes where she and T.I. are in the bookstore and she's got her afro. And I mean, I'm loving that wave of her sort of political awareness. That really spoke to me. But do you have a particular favorite piece
1: or era? Wow, Stacey, that's like... Oh, my gosh. That's like asking me, like, who's my favorite kid or something. It's so hard. You know, for me, it depends on the era. It depends on the environment. Let's see. There's one that pops out of my head right now, and it's a white outfit. She's sitting in a car with T.I. also. They're driving, and it's a white outfit. And, Kevin, thank you so much for having the skill so that I can put white clothing on dark skin. Because back in the day, I remember, I'm just going to digress, and this is to Kevin and Anthony's skill. Back in the day, I remember putting a white shirt on a very ebony complexion, very well-known actor, and the DP at the time told me to remove the white shirt because he couldn't shoot this darker skin in this white shirt and I had to change it much to my dismay because the shirt was perfect. Of course, the shirt was perfect. Of course. Cause you had selected it. Yes.
3: Yes. It's fabulous. Ms. Jennifer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, I've seen, we've come a long way. We've come a long way in lighting skin tones. I just wanted to digress and just, you know, No, it's a great
0: anecdote and it really does speak to the power of this series to know that you weren't inhibited
1: at all along the way. Not at all. And Kevin is a master. I tell you, I would look at dailies and his lighting would make my clothes just, it would just give it that extra flourish, that extra richness that I so appreciate for what their work brought to my craft. And then to answer your question, because I'm not trying to avoid it, a couple of things I particularly loved in the show. There is a Aretha goes to a party, a record party. This is when she's now in her Afro black awareness phase. Is this the sleeveless dress? The sleeveless dress. Yes. And then there is that white cape I was telling you about. So it was this beautiful white cape with slit sleeves, white slacks. And then it has a very bright red and black and yellow graphic blouse underneath it. I mean, that's really a very contrasty thing. But that was the color mashup that they were doing back in the day. It's a favorite. Oh, my gosh. Also, the gown that I designed where she wears to her first European concert in Amsterdam, which is just a wash with glitter and sequins and lit. That thing just it just made my heart sing.
3: It was beautiful.
1: And if you
0: can even quantify or even just guess, do you know how many pieces in total you made for the whole show?
1: No, I don't even want to count it. I mean, you know, so there's building there is sourcing. I had some challenges because we're talking about a real person and real events and some of the public events, Susan Laura Parks and Anthony wanted to reproduce, which meant reproduce the dress she wore when she met up with Martin Luther King. That was interesting because I went to print articles and going back to the whole print editions, color deteriorates on paper. So some of these color photographs, the dress looked lime yellow. And another one, it looked green. And it was a challenge to find out what really was the true color because there wasn't any video at the time. That's so interesting. So finally, I took a good guess and finally matched what I thought was the right green. Then the challenge was then the fabric didn't exist anymore. It had a pattern in it. And where am I going to find that in 2020? So I went as far as having fabric printed in the Amazing Grace segment when she's in that beautiful green silk paisley cafton. I couldn't find any fabric available that even came close. So I had it printed. So there were some tricks that I did to reproduce uh, pieces that she wore that we needed to reproduce this in our
2: show. Wow. And she found great material. Yes, you did. Really beautiful. I mean, there's stuff that she would bring in. I was like, oh my goodness.
0: I have to say costume designers are one of the many
1: unsung heroes of these endeavors. Oh, thank you. Part of my process too was also at times for the choreographed piece and the background pieces, I would sneak into Don Draco's rehearsals to see how they were moving. Or I'd come to my go, listen, I want to do this dress. So sometimes... He was gracious and he changed the choreography to fit the dress so that the dress could accommodate the movement. And then there were times when I changed my design because he says, well, I want him to do this and flip over here and twist over here and turn over here and swivel like this. And I went, oh, well, I got to change this design because they can't do it in that dress. So, okay, we go back to the drawing board. That is the fun and the beauty of collaboration you know, across the board. That is beautiful synergy. If I've ever heard it,
3: <laughs> well, I'll tell you it was teamwork. It was literally teamwork. I'm like, Miss Jennifer's the dress tight, like how tight is that dress? I was like very tight. <laughs> if it's very tight, we just want to give a little <laughs> arm movement. Okay. I got it. Got it. Got it.
0: And <laughs> Don Dranko, we, you know, Jennifer has talked about all the incredible resources and materials that she could access in creating the looks. And similarly with you, you have hundreds of hours of Aretha moving on stage and in, appearing on shows and in concerts. How much freedom did you feel to sort of create something new while also paying deference to these real life events? You know, let's say I had been at a concert and I think, well, that's not what happened. I was at that show. So you sort of have that balancing the line between you as an artist being able to create something, but also having to make sure, okay, this is really how this went. So tell me about that balance.
3: It's a really, really thin line when you're speaking of choreography and doing research and looking at something that has happened and taking that choreography and putting it on the stage today for a TV and film. Because it's a thing that I can go and look at it and try to learn verbatim and still, but then at that point, it's not my choreography. Somebody else choreographed that. Then I'm looking at, like, oh, that's a lawsuit, or oh, he didn't really choreograph that. He kind of just took that and puzzle piece it together in my department, I literally look at it and there's certain things that are signature that I will pull from it. And then I will get together and like piece it together and come up and tell my story or my version in the same field, in the same time period. It's more important about the time period and the field when it comes to choreography and doing period pieces. Like you have to make sure it's in that period and you have to make sure you do the research and make sure well, you're like, well, Aretha wasn't really moving like that because Tina Turner was kind of doing that style. But you come back and then once you get it and you figure out and then you're dealing with actors and singers that are, you know, bringing this woman's life to a vision. So sometimes people don't move like that. The new generation and these new people don't move like the people back then did. You have to kind of alter and make it look good for them in that period. If they were put in that period, they would look amazing. So there were several things I looked at, like the concerts. And back then, they did a lot of zoom in on the artist's face, so you can't really see what's really happening in the back. So you have to really take a creative judgment and kind of just go for it. I even found one show where she literally sat down With the microphone at a table, and it was a whole dance number. She just sang the song and just looked at it, and I thought, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. But that's how you know someone has a a love for the art of choreography and dance. When you're just singing a song, you just looking at somebody, tell the song through dance that you're singing. So it was a lot of things I found that I became a fan of. Like, I always feel like I was teaching myself stuff through this whole process.
0: Wow. Now you'll be the guy to go to for, Absolutely. for period. We got this.
3: <laughs> Put me with Kevin and Jennifer all day. We got this. Listen. We got. It.
0: <laughs> you know, I don't think we can talk about this series and its impact without also talking about Cynthia Erivo's performance. It's striking on so many levels, not the least of which is she does a lot of her own singing at the piano in a lot of the even acoustic moments. It, it feels very raw and very unproduced in the best way because she is so gifted as an artist herself. In relation to your respective craft, what impact did Cynthia bring to what you had to do every day? Is there something special that she allowed you to do that maybe if it were another actor, it wouldn't have been as easy?
1: For me, I got to say, she, as you can imagine, having to adorn the human body or somebody else's body and put your style and your approach on somebody. Physically, you can imagine it's not the easiest thing to do because people, you know, have their own style and in our own mindset. And I think what's was amazing for Cynthia is that she allowed me to really do my thing. She really did. I had so many fittings with her. I mean, I would say I probably tried on Hundreds of items. I know there were times when she was like, Oh my God, Jennifer, not another fitting. And I'd be like, Yes, another fitting. And she'd like, you know, a little bit reluctant, but she'd show up and we'll get it, we'll soldier through it. But what I liked about working with her, really seriously, was that she was open to what I brought into the fitting room. And when she came into the fitting room and stripped down and started trying on clothes, It wasn't Cynthia trying to close. It was Aretha in the room. And I felt it and I knew it. Wow,
0: that's very powerful. And how about you, Kevin? What did Cynthia bring to your task every day?
2: Uh, This was the second show I've done with Cynthia. So I got to see a shift from a character in another show to this one. The biggest thing in working with Cynthia for us photographically was the close proximity (laughs) I did a lot of her close-up work really close to her, within two and three feet. There's a difference in a shot that's eight feet away or one that's three feet away. It's in the curvature of her face on a lens. We worked with a lot of extremely shallow depth of field where just a little piece of her face would be in focus. All that required us invading her space while she's still having to act. And she allowed it constantly. And it gave us these overly dynamic shots that tuned us into where she was psychologically. It really takes a lot for an actor to tune out. I mean, you look at that microphone right in front of you. If something's that close, you're aware of it. But you can't be aware of it. And she allowed that over and over again. And that was the strength of some of the moments you'll see that are heartbreaking.
0: Yeah, she makes herself very vulnerable, which I think was key to this performance. And Don Draco, Cynthia is such an amazing performer, but she brings what I would call just an incredible athleticism to... She's so powerful, even though she's, what, 5'2", very petite in stature. She has such a presence for being not a tall person that I think she can carry any scene. And how did that physicality make your job easier?
3: Let me just give you a little insight. As a choreographer and working in TV and film, and even working in the music business, every producer, every music label, every actor, agent, when it comes to anything dealing with music and movement, everybody think they got Janet Jackson and Beyonce and Justin Timberlake. Oh, my actor can do this. Or they just expect that, you know. So when they come in, and my job, I'm like, oh my God, this person got three left feet and can't turn right to left. Never. But when Cynthia... It was like a breath of fresh air. I'm like, God, you are really listening. Because not only is she an amazing singer, a powerhouse actor and so small a frame, but she's an amazing dancer. So I knew that she had a lot of feelings. I knew that she had to remember a lot of lines. I knew that there was a lot of changes happening. And they were dealing with COVID, so there was a lot going on. So literally, I didn't really have to rehearse that much with her. But once she came into set, everyone, I'm like, I need at least 15, 20 minutes. I will walk her through it. And she'll be like, okay, got it, good. Simple. I appreciate and I accepted her, what she brought to the table. And all I had to do was fine tune it a little bit every now and then. You know what I mean? And it's one scene that we did. It's this iconic picture of Aretha Franklin and her dance teacher. She's in a leotard in a dance studio, is an iconic picture. So we actually did that scene. And when we came in, this is how I knew that this was going to be great. And we had to do the waltz. If during that time period, she was having a waltz class and the waltz is a one, two, three, one, two, three. Most actors or actresses would be like, what the hell is a waltz? What is that? So literally, I was running, I was coming from somewhere and I was like, oh my God, we need to get to do a run through before we started. When I got there, she had already figured it out and I just had to just fine tune it a little bit. So working with her from my end was, it couldn't have got better than that.
0: Well, you also see the bonus, too, of hiring someone for this role who's a stage performer. And she's so comfortable, you know, sort of blocking theatrically from her work on Broadway. So... You had probably more of a shorthand for that reason
3: oh and she and the delicacy and like the gestures and uh the only time we really had to go in is like churchy stuff but it still wasn't even like a hard thing it just was just fine adjustments and like you know in the church it's a double clap it's all these other type of things that are going on and then once you evolve it turns into like this delicate and like the soulful grooves but working with her from a choreographer's perspective i'll work with her on give me another dance show to make her really dance. We really going go in.
0: Now I really want to see what moves she has now that you've spoken about that. She this.
3: can go. <laughs> yeah, she's good.
0: Yeah, she can dance. And in closing, I'd love to know for each of you, what is the greater impact of telling Aretha's story now for viewers in the time in which we're living? And also, to what degree do you feel Aretha's story and her specific genius is also the untold story of Black excellence? And I think because... There's so much about her life I didn't know. That feels hurtful to me, that there was so much about her genius that we didn't know. And to me, that speaks volumes about how many untold stories of Black excellence there are all around the world. So tell me how you feel about that. Maybe start with Jennifer.
1: Well, we are taping this right after the inauguration. And we know that Aretha, you know, sang at inauguration's And, you know, when I was listening to little Amanda Gorman read her poetry, I did flashback on Aretha because I saw a parallel of amazing talent that had been given an opportunity to shine. And there are so, so many untold stories going all the way back. I mean, all the way back from slavery to 2021, that they're just exemplary of being good humans and good humans to each other. And I think a lot of people don't even know, and we show it in Genius Aretha, we address her activism. She was quite active in the civil rights movement at the time. A lot of people don't know that aspect of her life. That's one thing that I felt remiss in not knowing about her. Yes, yes. She put a bail for Angela Davis, for example. I mean, she really stepped out there. I mean, and back then, doing something like that could end your music career. You know, because even though things were changing, they weren't changing fast enough. And so when you stepped out and did risks like that and made political statements when you're an entertainer, you really were taking a real risk. And she did that. And I'm so glad that in the story, in our genius, Aretha, we get to illustrate those facets of her life beyond what she brought to the stage.
0: Mm. It is so, so true. And how about you, Kevin? What does it being able to tell her story mean today for you?
2: I'm a broken record connection. Without a doubt, we end our story. And I don't know if you can tell where we go in episode eight. But the ending of episode eight, I'm going to just say, it's a tribute to Aretha. We go out on that. And the fact that that trajectory gets to that moment, it kills me. The strength of Aretha, her music, her life, it conditioned that moment for Cynthia to sit there and play a tribute to that. It's connection. More than any one word in... How we built this show, Anthony and I, our conversations always centered around purely that, that we get to break everything and use Jennifer's word. We are all human. We are deeply connected. If you look at this community of people that came together to make this, those two other people right there, the connection. Something we haven't, any of us really addressed was Anthony Hemingway connected us also.
1: Yes, he did.
2: Yes, he did. That family that we are is because of that connection. He pushed all of us to go beyond. Draco talks about the dancing. Anthony would say, Go for it. Jennifer, it's like, Push that color. Go big and yellow. Me, make it bold, Kevin. Uh, I know there's times I'm sitting there going, Well, I can do this, but I feel like I'm a step on the story. He goes, Do it. Make it bold. We are making a statement and we made a statement.
0: And I think everything you're describing is the power of having a story like this, which is the black experience told by black artists, because I think in other contexts, you may not have felt the freedom or the strength as a group to push back. If someone says, Oh, we don't have time for that. Or that's fine. That fabric's fine. You don't need to go the extra mile to pay more to have that fabric made. And I think that in telling stories like this, the authenticity factor is just, I mean, I feel it emanating from all of you. So I think it's irreplaceable in telling a story like this.
1: You know, Anthony, and I have to just speak on Anthony's, his brilliance. And to use Kevin's word, he was also, Anthony's a master of connection himself and was able to seamlessly just push us and Let us bring to him our best. He was able to do that. And in reality, you know, in television and film production, as you were saying, Stacey, we don't always get that opportunity because there are always other financial things or administrative things and our creativity very, very often gets clipped on this project. It didn't. It got encouraged. It got pushed. It just brought another sense, a level to it that I think the viewers will see it on the screen.
0: It emanates. It really does. And Don Draco, why don't you give us some closing thoughts about what it feels for you to see another artist like Aretha, who started in the church like you, came from similar background, to see her story told in multi-dimensions, which I think is something that is often lacking when we attempt the biopic, which I know you aren't here, but it's what we're used to seeing so often. But this feels like something more?
3: It's a few things. I think the connection of Aretha's life from beginning to end plays a very important part of coming out now, of coming out during the time where the inauguration just hit where everybody's so separated and divided. And we all do need connection for real, for real, a true connection. You know what I mean? And to be able to come from, speaking of Aretha, to be able to come from deep in Detroit in the church and just being able to sing gospel and being up under the leadership of a mega pastor during that time and to be able to switch over to sing soul and blues music, anything to be able to say anything is already a big hurdle. If you come from the church and the gospel circuit, that is like what you mean? You've been saying that it's a thing. So to be able to jump past that and to move forward and to connect people in the church and the outside world, to connect church people and the sugar shack and the juke joint people is a huge connection. So Coming out today to be able to connect people from different political point of views is about the same. It's just as intense. You know what I mean? So I think it's very important. And I think that, you know, having Anthony, who also come from the church, who knew what it needs, technically they could have hired anybody. But to hire him to be able to pull these people, because he gets it. Everybody won't get the church crossing over. Everybody, everybody black won't get it. They just won't get it. You can hire some black people as well that'll be like, um, yeah, we're gonna do this. It's okay, you don't need that fabric, Miss Jennifer. Just put in a regular t shirt or Draco, don't do too much choreography. They mean you didn't get it because it's specific. You know what I mean? And why cheat yourself? And he didn't allow us to cheat ourselves, and Aretha didn't allow them to cheat themselves like she, she was an activist. She pushed for things, she pushed the envelope and pushed it with boldness, you know? So I think it's very important. Right now, for it is a perfect time. And I can't wait for everybody to see the hard work. And it was hard work. It wasn't easy for me and Kim.
0: Oh, I can tell.
2: (laughs) It was a year of work.
3: A year of work, a year of like, oh my God. But the reward is always greater. The reward is going to be great. I said it from the beginning. I'm like, it's a lot, but we all are great at what we do. And Anthony trusts us. He pulled a gladiator team in to get it done. And that's just what we did.
0: Well, I think Aretha would be moved and touched and inspired by all the rigor that's gone into telling her story. So congratulations to each of you. I can't wait for people to see this full experience of Aretha Genius.
3: Oh my God, can I say one thing? Oh, sure. And let's not leave out, Cynthia Revo sung them damn songs. No one should ever be like, well, you know, she sung. No, 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 no. She sung those songs. Those backgrounds we hired, like, real singers to... Were you dealing with a talent like that and they're a real singer? You have to hire real musicians and real singers to push them forward. And that's what we did. They were in there singing their faces off. And someone who grew up in a music family who grew up listening to music that makes you feel good, that no one could ever say that, I'll fight and battle anybody if they said she lip-sing anything.
2: And once again, Anthony pushed for that. The drive for authenticity just across the board was Anthony.
3: Because he had the talent. He had the talent. He had the people. You got the boldness. Why make them lip-sing when they can do it? And they feel it. You can lip sing all day, but the vibe and the feel, you from sitting in there just watching somebody sing, you feel it. You can feel it. You can feel it from the other room. Like, oh my God, who's singing that song? Those girls are really singing like they were some pretty impressive, brilliant singing here.
0: The casting is really wonderful. And again, you can really feel all this work that went into this when you're watching it. So I'm so honored to have spoken with each of you today. And please take care and stay safe. And hopefully we can see each other in person at some point. Yes, Stacey,
1: it was a pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much.
0: I'd like to thank Jennifer Bryan, Dondrako Johnson, and Kevin McKnight for joining me today. For more information on Genius Aretha, please visit natgeotv.com slash FYC. I'm Stacy Wilson-Hunt, and this has been The Making of a Nat Geo podcast. Thank you for listening. The Making of a NatGEO Podcast is a National Geographic production. Executive producers Stephanie Montgomery and Chris Albert. Host, Stacey Wilson Hunt. Writers and producers Dave Beesing, Thomas Green, Jason Jackson, Kevin Horton, and Stacey Wilson Hunt. Associate Producer Shanna Blackman. And production coordinator Juliana Parisi. In association with Benstown, McBay Media, and Sound That Brands.